got to learn to read uh, Linda's facial expression. It was kind of like, get up there. I'm a relative newbie. I, I wrote this down to keep it concise. I'm trying to not take too long when I'm up here. Uh, it felt too long, so I shrunk the font. It's much smaller now, so anyway. I'm a relative newbie in Gary's life. Uh, he's partnered with us generously the last two years. Dr. Cockrell, I'm sorry. Dr. G, we call him on the Hill. He's uh, partnered with us generously on the Hill the last two years to do the alternative service. This year he began an examination of Lord's Prayer under the theme Back to Basics, and when he sent me the email back in May, he said it was the foundation of our walk with God, and I, my first thought was, huh, the Lord's Prayer, you know? But I also know and trust Gary enough to know that when he's onto something, he's onto something. And uh, one of us didn't know what we were talking about, and it's, it's pretty much never Dr. Cockrell, you know what I'm saying? So. Uh, on day one, we got through two words of our study on the Lord's Prayer. We got through our Father. Just to give you a demonstration of the richness of uh, his teaching, apparently I didn't know what the word our meant, and I didn't know what the word Father meant, because I spent a day having my world rocked on what our Father meant. And... Uh, if you ever get a chance to hear that from him, it's, I'll never say the Lord's Prayer the same way again. So, having worked, I get to introduce him, that's what I'm doing here, we're not doing money. Um, having worked closely with him for the last two years, and also with Rosa a little bit less, she was up last year more than this year, here's what I know about him. Number one, he's a fascinating man, but he's also a bit of a conundrum. A, number one, the dude married up. He definitely went fishing in a pond above his pier level, and he landed a really good fish in his wife. Uh, amen? <laughs> Last year, uh, my mom was really sick. And she was up on the hill, and she noticed that me and my dad and my brother were in a bit of a denial. And I don't know if she knows this, but my mom went on to pass away a few months later, and we referenced what she shared with us that day all the way through the funeral process and after. It really made a huge difference to our family. Um, number two, he's old. But his spirit is very young. The 20-somethings in our group clamored to have him back. And for you young folks back there who think, hey, I'm going to listen to some old missionary. What's the deal? Any of you all back there like the Lord of the Rings? This guy can crush you with his knowledge of the Lord of the Rings. He is a Lord of the Rings junkie. And he even speaks a little elfish for those guys back there. Who knows? Okay. I'll tell you where else he blew my mind. He talked about using encrypted email with a, a, with a VPN. That's not something 75-year-old guy knows, but that's the conundrum, which is Dr. Cockrell. He admits his weaknesses readily, and yet he's a mighty force for God. He loves coffee, 
but he spills more than he drinks. <laughs> Up on the hill, I said, why don't we give you two coffees, one to drink and one to spill? So, look at Rosa knows that's true. You can ask him about his laptop case story. It's a good one. He's a learned man with many letters behind his name who's a genius, and yet he has the faith of a child. He's a brilliant man whose brain is full of all kinds of proven and verified knowledge, but his spirit is open and correctable. These are my observations working with him. He's full of wisdom and understanding, has received accolades, but he listens more than he speaks, and he's really truly interested that you receive more than he cares to finish his notes for the day. Anybody disagree from the hill? That's the way this guy is. He is a nerd, and yet he's the coolest guy in the room. This is the conundrum that's going to speak to us today. He's an egghead, linguistic, chess-playing savant who reads Hebrew, ancient Greek, or elfish from the Lord of the Rings recreationally. For fun, he was teaching himself Russian last year, and yet his most powerful language is the poetic expressions of his love for Jesus and all that he has done for us and all that he will do in us. He's a conundrum. I'm pretty sure he's so smart that he actually knows the recipe for flubber. <laughs> and with a lifetime of learning and going and doing and teaching and testing and trials and tribulations after digging through complicated timelines, eras, kingdoms, and languages at the height of his learning, it brings him to, I am a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the secret to his brain. All right, I'm going to pull down the veil. I've, I've figured him out. Ready? It's the mind of Christ. Okay, back up. And here's the secret to his heart. It's the heart of Christ. And what did Dr. Cockrell do, the genius, when we asked him to preach tonight? Can you put the picture up? He knelt before the Lord and asked people to pray for him so that he might be worthy of the opportunity. This guy has changed my life and he's changed the life of so many people. And for those of you who don't know him, it's my honor to introduce Dr. Cockrell to you tonight. Thank you, Mark. Now, what you should learn from that introduction is it's really good if you need to be introduced to get Matt Greenwald to do it. <laughs> because he, you know, um, uh, he can uh, really introduce you well. I will say that what he said about my wife is true, very true. I did marry up. What he said about coffee is not quite true. I spill a lot of it, but I don't spill as much as I drink. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you, Matt, for that most gracious introduction. Reverend Bob Miller met me at the airport in Columbus and brought me to Syker for the first time. I had been invited to do the Bible studies in 1990. 
At that time, I had no idea, not the least inkling of what this camp would come to mean to me. I think Reverend Miller's daughter, Vangie, maybe did. Dear Vangie, who loved everybody. Because about my second or third time here, I don't think it was the first time, I'm not sure, she met me right up here walking up by where her cabin was one day, and she said, Gary, she said, you're not like a worker here, you're like one of us. I'm gonna adopt you into the Miller clan. The camp has come to make so much, when I say so much to me, to us, to Rosa and to me and to our grandson who's been here uh, many times, I mean the people who are here and what God has done here. By the way, thank you, Melody and Lynette and Grace. I love you all for all these years and really appreciate your music when you sing and when you lead. Look forward to seeing you at campus, to many of the rest of you. But it's what you have done, what the people have come to mean to us and what God has done for us here and the fellowship and the love that we experience. You know, we've been coming now for the last 10 years even when I, most of those years, I haven't had anything, any ministry I had to do here. We've come coming just to enjoy the camp. You know, it's great when you're in full-time Christian work to be able to go someplace where you just get renewed. You know, where you just, you're just able to take in and to, to enjoy what, what, um, what, what is there. Um, you know, and I have had the gracious privilege, I've been given the gracious privilege over these years, probably of doing the Bible studies here, I don't know, about a half dozen times, of preaching a couple times, and now also of a bit last year, more this year, of participating up in the, the alternate service on the hill and enjoying that fellowship and interaction. But brothers and sisters, friends, there is nothing that I would rather talk to you about than what I have the privilege of talking to you about tonight. I'm so great, grateful to Linda for giving me this opportunity. There's nothing that I, ha I would rather talk to you about than the world mission of the church and fulfilling the, gra the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been so central in my own life. When I begin to talk about it, my heart begins to beat faster the, the adrenaline begins to flow. There is an excitement and a holy joy that arrives, arises and I almost begin to tingle in my, arms and, in my arms and hands for the joy of talking about the great commission of our Lord, the, 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 the command to evangelize the world, to make disciples of all nations and to obey our Lord Jesus Christ and his last command, his last words, to carry out the purpose and the function of the church in this world what we're supposed to do until he returns. And so let's read that, uh, that great commission tonight. Of course, it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The, topic, the title, as you see up there, is Jesus' Words to a Hesitating Church. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll give you a minute, moment or two if you want to find that. I'm reading from the uh, New King James with maybe a couple changes of my own. Forgive me.
Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts tonight be pleasing in your sight. May I say what and only what you want me to say. May we hear what and only what you want us to hear. May we respond in obedience, in obedience just as you want us to respond. Ignite our hearts afresh and anew with the great commission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it was late Sunday morning a few months ago. We were, Rosa and I and some others, people, we were, we were struggling up seven flights of stairs in an old Soviet-era apartment building. We entered our host's tiny apartment, took off our shoes, as was the custom, and went into the cramped living room. More than 12 people were packed into a space, maybe in 10 by 16, and throughout the service, a toddler kept dragging a vacuum cleaner hose back and forth between the middle of us to, to entertain himself. There's no nursery there. Um, and um, the service began with a simple lunch together, followed by singing, prayer, and the exposition of the Word. We always concluded with, with tea, quite a custom of this country. And as we were leaving, but, but as we were leaving, we'd gone to the door, we'd, most of us had put our shoes back on, our hostess stopped us with these words, Aaron, not his real name, but Aaron wants to repent. Aaron had had previous contact with believers, some previous contact, but this was his first time at this house gathering. What a joy. To watch the glow on our son-in-law's face as he led this man to Christ. Henry, also not his real name, who had been baptized about a year earlier, was so excited with this new convert that, that, that he, he prayed the, uh, he prayed the sinner, joined him in praying the sinner's prayer, supported him by praying the sinner's prayer with him. After that prayer, I tell, I tell you the truth, Aaron's face glowed. My wife says when he came in, he looked like a villain. But his face, after he came to know Jesus, his face just glowed. <laughs> Friends, we descended those seven flights of stairs that day with a new joy and a spring in our steps, it was not nearly as hard going down as it was coming up. We were in a country that had been long bereft of the gospel, but we had witnessed someone find new life 
in Christ. Our daughter, son-in-law, and those with whom they work have gone to this unreached country for people like Aaron. They have gone in obedience to Christ's great commission, which we have read together this evening. They have gone to obey Christ's command, make disciples of all nations. But you know what? Jesus didn't give this commission to them alone. He, dress, he addresses all of us who are his disciples. All of us are called to wholehearted devotion to Jesus. All of us are called to single-minded obedience to his final command to make disciples of the nations. You know, sometimes, however, um, we doubt like those first disciples did in verse 17 of our passage. They had responded. They had, they had responded to the risen Jesus, to the risen Jesus' invitation to meet him in Galilee. There, as he had promised, they saw him. They knew um, it was him. They worshiped him. But we are told in verse 17 that they doubted. Now, this is not the New Testament word that is usually translated doubt. We might translate this word. Okay, I got to do something with these notes. We might, trans, uh, we might translate the, uh, this, wor this word. They hesitated. They believed that it was Jesus, all right. They worshiped him, but they wavered. They had second thoughts about what they should do. Should we really follow Jesus? Do we really want to get involved? If we follow him and obey his command, well, it, it, it might disturb our comfortable pattern of life, lie, of our, the comfortable pattern of our, of our lives. Are we today, sometimes at least a hesitating church, slow to commit, slow to wholeheartedly embrace Jesus' final command to make disciples of all nations, distracted by our pleasures and our hobbies and the temporal things of this world? Jesus addresses these words to, his, to us, his hesitating church. He would rouse us to obedient action. Notice that he begins with a declaration of his authority to inspire our confidence, to arouse us to action. He concludes with a promise of his presence to strengthen our resolve. We find this declaration of authority in verse 18. It is a declaration that dispels our doubt and disperses our hesitation. Jesus declares, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. N note the magnitude of this, of this authority. Some great conquerors have claimed all of the earth. We may remember Julius Caesar's famous declaration, I came, I saw, I conquered. But they only exercised temporary authority over a small portion of the world, the known world, or the civilized world of their time. Nothing is left outside the risen Jesus' power. He has authority over all. There is no territorial boundary, no national border, no 12-mile limit. His power extends over the entire universe. No one else except our risen Lord 
can claim this absolute authority. All authority, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, what's the source of this authority? Where did Jesus get it? I say it reverently. Jesus could not have made this statement in this way before his death and resurrection. Of course, in one sense, he had all authority from the beginning. But now he has conquered. But now he has overcome. Now, through his death and resurrection, his author this authority has been given to him by the Father. It is for this, for this reason that he came into the world, to overthrow evil. It began with his temptation in the wilderness when he said no to, J to Satan's temptation. He was going to fulfill the word of God. It went right through to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not thy will but mine be done. And it was accomplished in his cross and in his resurrection. In obedience to the, the powers of evil had stalked him throughout his life, inciting people to hate him and pursue him. Through treachery he had been arrested. By false witnesses he had been convicted and crucified. His enemies thought they had conquered, but his very death was their defeat. The risen Jesus has overcome. In obedience to the Father, Jesus bore the sins of the world on the cross and destroyed the power of evil by the cross. Then... He rose from the grave. It is the crucified and risen Christ, seated at the Father's right hand, well, about to be seated at the Father's right hand, who announces, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I beat them. I took them down. The powers of evil have been overcome. He is the heir apparent, the prince of the universe. We serve the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Today and every day he sits at the Father's right hand, ready to hear our prayers, ready to supply our need, ready to empower us to follow him and to carry out his, his, his charge that we make disciples of all nations. The Lord, who by his blood has received all authority, gives us this command. We need not hesitate. He has won the victory. We have seen that Jesus' words to his hesitating church begin then with this declaration of his authority to dispel our hesitation, to move us to action. They conclude in verse 20 with a promise for all, for all who will abandon their hesitation for, and pursue his command. It is a promise of his unfailing presence. Hear Jesus' very last words according to Matthew. The very last thing he says in this gospel. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who is it that is with us? It's very emphatic. Remember, it is the crucified and risen Jesus who's gone back to heaven who is with us. It's very emphatic here. I, I and no one else will be with you. He has not abandoned us. He is at the Father's right hand inviting us to draw near. Through the Holy Spirit, he is present in his church. Jesus has nothing greater to, get, to offer us than himself. He does not ask us to make disciples by ourselves. He sends us out with his authority and assures us of his presence. His presence brings us deep, abiding joy. It is a taste 
of heaven. Note how long he will be with us. Don't you enjoy God's presence at camp meeting? We come here because we, this, this holy place, it's been dedicated to the Lord. Much prayer is, 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 surrounds it. The Word of God is preached here. The people of God come to fellowship here, and God is present. We enjoy that. But Jesus promises his presence at far more than camp meeting. How long will he be with us and where Jesus, literally, Jesus promises to be with us all days, every day until his return. Good days, he'll be there. Bad days, he'll be there. Dreary days, he'll be there. Stressful days, sorrowful days, days filled with grief, he will be there. Um, as his authority has no cosmic boundary, so his promised presence has no temporal limitation until the end. The end here, though, is a richer word than end would suggest in English. It's until the completion, until his return, when the kingdom of God comes in glory and all is set right, until, and then of course we'll be in his presence forever, but it's until all is accomplished, he will be with us, he will not abandon us, he will not leave us uh, aside. But, but to whom then? Who receives this promise? I've been saying us and we, we have this promise. But his presence is promised to us as, as, to us as his disciples as we, as we obey his command to disciple the nations. The promise is not to a hesitating church, friends. The promise is to an obedient church, to one that steps up and takes its place in, 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 in obedience to Christ's command. Only the obedient know the sweetness, the joy, the full peace of his presence. If you want to enjoy his promise, take your place in fulfilling his final command, and you will know his promise to the ends of the earth in every kind of situation that you might face. Let's look then at this command itself. We have seen um, you see I'm on the right page here. Yeah, I am. I don't want to be like the preacher that, you know, the, the window was open. You probably heard this story, and the breeze blew through and Leaf of his notes fell off, and he looked back, and he, he had just said, and Adam said to Eve, and when he looked down, he said, I think there's a leaf missing somewhere. I don't, don't, don't want that to happen. Uh, that's not in my manuscript. Uh, let's look then at the command of Christ here. We have the promise of his presence as we obey. And what is this command? What is this command that he would move us to fulfill? We find it. Uh, we find it, of course, in verses 19 through 20 of what we read. It is a command that compels us to act. Make disciples of all nations. What does this command involve? The one who has all authority, how could he be satisfied with anything less than all the nations of the world? This command, whoops, well, it almost happened, didn't it? Uh, the one who has all authority commands us to make disciples of all nations. We are called to lead them to Jesus through faith and baptism. 
teach them how to live as his disciples and gather them into church, into church communities. This is a long-term project. The church has been at it since its beginning. It requires dedication, effort, and perseverance. It requires some people to leave home and family. It requires the learning of other people's languages and cultures. It requires preaching the gospel. It requires preparing new converts for baptism and baptizing. It requires ongoing instruction in God's word. It requires modeling godly living, godly leadership, and godly home life. It requires the training and mentoring of leaders. It requires the, uh, uh, the infrastructure all of the infrastructure necessary, the business and the mechanical and the technical infrastructure necessary to carry this out. It requires the financial support to undergird all of this, to carry out this great task. It requires, this is last because it's most basic, it requires intercessory prayer. Oswald Chambers is supposed to have had prayer, said prayer is not preparing for the battle. Prayer is the battle. This is the work of God. It's based and founded on intercessory prayer. Worldwide, this, world, worldwide disciple making requires all that the church has to give. So what does it require of us, of me, and of you, and of me? What does this, mean, this command require of us? First and foremost, it requires prayer. Prayer for those who have gone to make disciples. Prayers for those whom they disciple. Prayer that God will raise up people to go, workers for the harvest. Matt told you I was old, and that's true. I'm just getting it out there. I'm 75. 60 years ago, when I first told Jesus, I'd made a confession of faith before that, but when I first told Jesus that I wanted him to have everything that Gary Cockrell was, and that Gary Cockrell wanted every bit of Jesus that Jesus would give him, one of the first things I did when I committed my life to Christ at that age, as a teenager, was to hang a poster over my bed that bore the pictures of 120 missionaries, about 120. I knelt by my bed and prayed for them every day by country and by name. God calls you to pray for missionaries. Get their prayer cards. Some of them are around here. Some of you, 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 I know you've talked to other missionaries. Sign up for their prayer letters. Look at their, their page on Facebook and other social media, Instagram, whatever it is. Become familiar with what they're doing. Talk to them. Most most of them will send you a prayer, a prayer calendar for praying for them and pray for them. Make it a regular and important part of your life. Roses of my daily prayers consist of a whole string of missionaries, and we pray for them other times too. But make it a part of your life. Friends, prayer is not only important in itself, but prayer generates passion for the will of God to be done. You can't pray for missionaries without your heart being stirred, without beginning to be involved in other ways. Persistent prayer makes you excited about the work of God. Um, and so if you begin to pray fervently, you know what? You will give. 
you will, your heart will sing. You will want to give. And, it, and, and these missionaries require, it does require our resources. Why should those whom God has called have to struggle to raise their support? When God has your heart, it includes your bank accounts and your investments. Our pocketbooks are often the best gauge of our devotion. All of God's people are called to fervent prayer. All are called to bear witness to Jesus. All are called to give sacrificially. Some are called to go to other countries and cross cultural barriers. Um, uh, and some of us, too, are called to encourage and support our children when they go. I hope that you have resolved to per persevere in praying for our missionaries. In a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to give so that our psycho missionaries are able to continue obeying Jesus by making disciples from all the nations. But God may be calling some of you to go or to support your family members in going. From my own experience, that's harder. Rosa and I left our own families in winds. But then later in life, it came around when it was... Our children were going to go and take our grandkids. But if you have consistently believed in this all of your life, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but you say yes and you support them. And you get behind them with all that you have. Actually, it's quite easy these days compared to what, to what it used to be. We talk to them every week by, by Skype. And I can take my phone and WhatsApp and video call them almost any time. Of course, it's nine hours different, so they don't appreciate it if I call them the wrong time of day. But even if it's from Gramps. But, um, but now, if God has called you to go, you will face many challenges. But you will also know the joy of seeing people born again who would never otherwise have heard the gospel as we did in that tiny apartment on that Sunday several months ago. You will meet people like Faith, again, not her real name, who was abused and abandoned as a child. One day after prayers in the mosque, she had such a longing to know God. In a dream, a man, no doubt Jesus, but a man told her that she needed a Bible and that she would get a Bible. Then God told a faithful lady in, her t in Faith Town to take a Bible and go knock on the door of a certain apartment. Faith opened the door. The woman said, I don't know why I'm here, but God told me to knock. And Faith said, do you have a Bible? Several hours from where we lived was a middle-aged mother, we'll call her Sarah, who lived with her mother and three daughters. Abandoned by her husband, she lived in abject poverty, tiny space, a few curtains for privacy, a common bathroom. Well, you may say we've got that at Syker, but her common bathroom was not like these common bathrooms <laughs> with other, other people. Through faith's witness, all of these women came to Christ 
through the prayers of God's people, they are now employed, living in a small house of their own that serves as a center for Christian worship in their town and are living for Christ instead of living in sin. Or there's Timothy, a brilliant university student from a remote village. These are people that I know that I've, that I've met, that Rose and I have met, from a remote village who almost didn't graduate because he shared so openly about his newfound faith in Christ. Or Silas, a capable young man pursuing a PhD in business and economics, who was led to Christ by a businessman with whom he worked for probably about six months, who came over there for about six, six months, but who kept contact with him and would use FaceTime to call him and to read the Bible with him. You will see believers join in helping one another as they helped Henry, whom I already mentioned, when out of dire financial circumstances, he was tempted to sell his kidney on the black market. Your heart will be interwoven with the hearts of those who believe and burdened for those who turn away. If God has called you to go in obedience to Jesus' command, we want to give you an opportunity to make your commitment public this night and to pray for you. I don't expect this altar to fill up. Maybe I don't have enough faith. But I'm, I'm asking you specifically, if God has called you to serve him as a missionary, to cross cultures, I'll make it a little broader, to full-time service, but with an openness to being a missionary. If you've never, I'm not asking, if you've already made that commitment, I'm not asking, if you've never made that commitment to, before, but God has been speaking to your heart tonight. You say, I hear the Great Commission. I hear God speaking. I want to invest my life in something that matters. And really, friends, the only thing that matters in this world. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and to stand right here, and then we'll pray, we'll, we'll pray for you. Or if you're a parent and you've been hesitant to let your children go. Now, I'm, just gonna, I'm not just going to say every parent who's willing to let their kids go. If I did that, every one of us ought to, who are parents ought to come down here. And I assume that you would. But if you've been resistant to that, if you've not want, wanted your children to go, and God has spoken to you tonight and said, I need to change that. I need to get behind the mission you can come to. Can we, should we stand? Do you have a song we can sing? Please stand. Just come and stand right here. You don't have to. Well, you can kneel if you want to. But if God is speaking to you about being one of those who go, I don't know why he calls some people and doesn't others. I really don't. It's not because we're all so good. God doesn't think I'm as good as Matt Greenwald does. I assure you of that. <laughs> he knows my faults. But if he has called you and you felt him speak to your heart tonight, you want to be like these other missionaries you've seen today. Having that kind of part, God has called you to do that. Please, it's your opportunity to make that commitment and to have the people of God pray for you. I'll let you go ahead and see. If you know that song, you can sing it. 
Play the verse through one more time. another verse. I'm going to change it just a little bit. If you say, I, I don't know if God has called me, but tonight I've made a commitment that I haven't made before. If he does call me, I'm willing to go. I will have an ear that is open to his call. I will be willing. Um, I will be willing if he says go, to go. And I've never made that commitment before. If God has spoken to you tonight and you're willing to make that commitment, that I'm ready to go if God calls me, I will listen to his voice and be obedient to it. Now's your chance. We would like to pray for you as well, that God would continue to work in your life. Thank you. 
I made a commitment like this myself. They didn't even have to sing two verses. I knew I wanted Jesus so badly and I wanted him to be in charge. I think there are other people who should make a commitment like this. But I'm not going to tarry. And you can still do it later on in this camp. I want to have a prayer for these who have come that I'm going to ask, and I would like to talk with, have a chance to talk with each of you who've come. But we're going to have a prayer and ask you to, you can continue praying or sit over here because we're going to have a chance for you to give to meet Camp Cyclers' mission budget as well. Please, you may be seated. Those of you who are praying, you can continue to pray or you can sit there on the front pew. Well, let me have a prayer with you first of all. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for these people who have come to say that their, their ears are open, that they're committed to you. If you call them to full-time service, if you call them around the world, they're ready to go. They're open. Lord, we pray you will bless this commitment and we don't know what, how you will lead these people, but we know you will lead them. And as they walk in obedience, you will lead them in fruitfulness and in faithfulness to serve you and to make a difference in the world. And so we commit them to you this night and we praise you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you would, I really would like to talk to you. So when you finish praying, if you want to sit in the front, we'll talk afterwards. Now, it takes money. It's going to take money. If the uh, new people who go to the mission to, to serve on the mission field, it takes money to fulfill Jesus' great commission. The people who go have children, just like you do. They need medical care, just like you do. They have to plan for retirement, just like you do. They have ministry costs. They have to produce and distribute literature, establish Bible schools, and travel in evangelism. Most of them that I know live joyfully, but very modestly. They themselves give to the Lord's work. God calls every one of us to support this endeavor with sacrificial giving. I know that many of you already support missionaries, like I do like Rosa and I do, either directly or through your church, or maybe both. But tonight, we have the privilege of making our goal for the support of Camp Psychers missionaries, our representatives. Many of them have grown up right here. In light of all that Christ has done for us, doesn't it seem inappropriate to give him only what we will never miss? I don't have any hesitation to ask you to give sacrificially. Give to, it's better. Do you really need the new television or a new car or new hunting equipment or new clothes? Let me get myself in here too. New books? Do I really need those things? Can I not get along without it? Something that I really wanted and invest in the Lord's work? C.S. Lewis says somewhere that how much should you be giving? Well, it's hard to tell, but he says, if you're able to enjoy all the pleasures of your normal station in life without any pinch, you're probably not giving enough. After all that Jesus has given for us, 
I have no hesitation to ask you to give sacrificially. Now, there are mission envelopes in the pews, and ushers, uh, well, there are gift envelopes in the pews. You can use them to support the camp as well. And the ushers, the ushers have them. Uh, yeah, and make sure people outside, uh, outside the tabernacle also are able to, to have, a, have, a, have one of these envelopes. I would like to ask you to take one and hold it. I'll give you a minute to get one if you would. If you don't have one in your pew and you want to get one, raise your hand and let the ushers give you one. And I'm going to ask you, we're going to take a few moments, I want to ask you to pray about what God would have you do to support, what is it, 30-some-odd missionaries, where Linda, some-odd some missionaries that we support, to, to, to contribute to their support so that they can keep making disciples of all nations. Rosa and I have already prayed about it. This is our envelope. Like I say, I know some of you support missionaries elsewhere. So do we. I'll tell you what, friends. I pay my light bill every month because I owe it. Because they'll cut my lights off if I don't. That too. But what we give to missions every month is the joy of my heart. And there's all kind of, you can, you can put the check in this envelope tonight. You can make a, 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 a faith promise on a monthly or one-time basis. Put the, the amount, if you don't have the money, put cash in it, a check in it. If you wanted to go for missions, check the box that says missions. There is an operational budget. We want to raise that too. That's a good thing to give to, a necessary thing to give to. Tonight we're looking, especially though, at the, at the, uh, at the missions budget. You can mark that there. You can make, if you have no cash, you can write your name and address and put the amount that God has told you to give. And um, I put it in the plate when it, when it comes through. You can arrange this, I understand from Matt, you can arrange to give online if you want to, but make your commitment now. Let's take, hold your envelope and let's take a few minutes, a few minutes to pray. I'm gonna let you pray silently before I pray. I want you to pray before the Lord and ask him what he would have you to do. Father, we come to you this evening asking for your direction. You know there are times when I've gone planning to give a certain amount, and then you told me to give a different amount, which has never been less, but only more. But I pray you will direct each one of our hearts as we ask you tonight, that you will show us what you would have us to give, either tonight or make a commitment to give within the next year. And if, Lord, if some are not ready to make that commitment tonight, there's no other, further time in the camp for them to make it. But, Lord, I'll just tell you now, I'm asking you, if they delay, I'm only asking you to tell them to give more. That's my request. Show us, Lord, now, and help us to do what you would have us to do. 
realizing that we are participating in the most wonderful thing in the world, the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the word of God so that the grace that was sung about that transforms will have a channel to reach their hearts and lives. And we're able to invest in the eternal destiny of people. Challenge us to do what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. who came in to the altar and prayed, some of you are sitting there, I'd just like to meet. If the rest of you would like to, I'd like to talk and pray with all of you. If you come sit over here right after, after the benediction. Receive the benediction. May God our Father send us.